1: From the opinion pages of The Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch.
2: The White House comes out in support of a bill giving it the power to ban TikTok and other foreign technologies as the Senate votes overwhelmingly to overturn a rewrite of the District of Columbia criminal code. Welcome, I'm Kyle Peterson with The Wall Street Journal. We are joined today by my colleagues on the editorial board, TikTok influencers Kate Batchelder-Odell and Colin Levy. TikTok is this Chinese social media app very popular with teens and youth and has come under some controversy not only now but in the Trump administration as well when it reportedly divested some of its U.S. assets. But it seems that Congress and the authorities in Washington don't really trust that that is an arm's-length transaction. Let's start with FBI Director Christopher Wray. This is him speaking at a Senate hearing this week about his concerns on letting TikTok operate in the United States. It's the control of the data to conduct all sorts of big data operations. It's the control of the recommendation algorithm, which allows them to conduct influence operations. It's the control of the software, which allows them to then have access to millions of devices. Uh, so you put all those three things together, and again, come back to the starting point, which is this is a tool that is ultimately within the control of the Chinese government, and it, to me, it screams out with national security concerns. Let's also have a clip here as Senator John Thune, South Dakota Republican. On Fox News on Thursday, making the argument why Congress needs to act. We have evidence that uh, you know TikTok or that the, uh, the mother company to TikTok, ByteDance, actually was accessing the non-public information of American users of that platform. And we all know that China is an adversary, is doing everything they can to spy on Americans. So I think this is just uh, something that we need to do to be vigilant, uh, to create a process where we can review, examine. Uh, and determine whether or not we need to block some of those apps, whether we need to mitigate those risks, how we go about that. But uh, it's high time for Congress to be heard from. Kate, what do you make of this? Certainly, it seems to me that banning a social media app in the United States at the president's decree would be an extraordinary step.
1: Yeah, Kyle. I mean, I don't think there's really any dispute about the problems that the FBI director laid out this week. We know that the Chinese government can appropriate whatever TikTok is vacuuming up from the United States. And we know that they don't have what we would consider, you know, private sector companies. It really is all can be funneled back to the government. So I think that is a valid threat. And I would put that in a separate bucket as the concerns about the effect it has on teenagers and the negative influence it has on American youth. Now, since we know it's a problem, I do think it would be a really dramatic step to ban it entirely. I think the bills to ban it on government phones are no-brainers, and I think that probably should have been done a while ago. I think some of the state actions in that regard have also been positive. And I think there is a conversation to be had about what next steps to take. But I do think some of the bills we're seeing, for instance, the one this week from Mark Warner, we're talking about Congress kind of setting up this new process for allowing the executive branch to have more authority over these questions. And I think we should proceed there with caution. And there may be more narrow ways to get at some of these core problems that we're describing with TikTok.
2: I think those are good points. And maybe this is leverage that the White House would be given and would never actually be used because it could force ByteDance and TikTok into some reforms that people like the FBI director would have faith in. I do think that even giving the president this power would be pretty extraordinary. On the other hand, think back to the Cold War. Would Ronald Reagan have allowed the Soviets to control some sort of media platform that was extremely popular among young Americans? Let the Kremlin program and own what is happening on MTV. I find that A little bit doubtful. And I also think it's worth pointing out that non-consumer things, there's already government control over what Chinese technology can go into American systems. President Trump banned some Huawei telecom equipment from U.S. networks. And Colin, I mean, I understand completely on security grounds why the Trump administration felt the need to do that. And I'm not sure... Why or how much it would be different simply because TikTok is not a behind the scenes product simply because it's a a consumer facing product.
0: Yeah, Kyle, I agree entirely. I think, you know, along the lines of what Kate was saying, I think we do know that, of course, even though ByteDance is a private company, of course, all of that information is getting funneled back to the Chinese government. And, you know, that that is going to expose a whole stream of information that the Chinese government can get their hands on. But I think what's important here is we really need to drill down and talk about exactly what we're so concerned about the Chinese government getting their hands on. I mean, what we're actually talking about is the Chinese government aggregating massive amounts of personal data, right, and storing it on mainland servers. So, okay, what's the personal data that we're talking about? Is it fingerprints? Is it voice recognition? Is it individual location tracking or search history or stuff hackers could use to create some sort of fraudulent identities? I think we need to get into that. I'm not saying that those things aren't bad things. The bad things that could be done with that data that's collected are a problem, but the relevant question is how it pertains to the regulation and how that's a national security threat. So again, to go back to what Kate was saying, of course, we should be banning it on government devices. Of course, we should be banning it really from any sort of government building or anyone who is working with the government. And as a matter of personal conscience, by the way, I think we should be talking about the responsibility of individual Americans here. You know, a journalist should know very well that they shouldn't have TikTok on their phone, especially if they're doing any interviews or any business on important government issues. So I think there's a lot more room here to talk about measures that we can take and individual things that people can do when they have more knowledge of the fact that all this information is going to the Chinese government.
2: But I think it's incumbent on the Biden administration, the FBI, the authorities in Washington to answer some of the questions that are swirling around TikTok. And I think that's true if they are going to move forward with this bill and give the White House essentially the power to ban TikTok, or even if they don't, or even if it doesn't pass and they want to make that case to the public that this is not something you should have on your phones. I mean, I think there are all sorts of questions. One of them that Kate brought up is what exactly it is serving to teens If it differs in some way what it gives to American teens versus to Chinese teens, to the extent that you're concerned that social media companies can create self-esteem problems, body image problems in high schoolers that are using them, how much is TikTok trying to prevent that? Or is it trying to encourage those kinds of problems in America's youth? Then we go to the more direct security questions. I mean, I've seen a lot of reporting and questions raised about what the app can do in terms of getting at a user's other data, maybe without the user even knowing it. I mean, the FBI surely has security experts that can answer that question. Congress can get the app reviewers, the security experts from Apple and Android, the people who make the cell phones, to provide the public some answers to those questions. And then the third question I would raise is, The issue of whether data on U.S. users is, in fact, staying in the United States or whether it is piercing the barrier and being taken overseas to China. I mean, the clip we played earlier, Senator John Thune said that there is evidence that that is happening. And, Kate, I guess what I would ask the senator is give us the evidence. What is that evidence? The frustrating thing about this debate to me is it's playing out amid all sorts of allegations about what TikTok is doing or might be doing. And I would like some real answers on how substantive those concerns are.
1: Yeah, Kyle, I mean, to my earlier point about how we're kind of swirling things in different buckets, I think like we're discussing on social media and its influence on teens, I think it's highly negative and is a malign cultural force in that regard. But I think we have to separate that from some of the other issues we're talking about. And one reason why I think there might be some virtue here in kind of starting with some discrete improvements is as well, the influence and the data vacuuming up um, that we're talking about is very important. There are also some other core concerns. I mean, Brendan Carr from the Federal Communications Commission has raised the point in hearings that TikTok is popular in the U.S. military. It's banned on military-issued phones, but it's harder to manage on personal phones. That includes an enormous amount of location data, sensitive access to military installations. How is the Chinese government using that data? Could we make a real effort to get it off our U.S. military bases as a start? I would think that would be a productive conversation to have. So I think these are some of the ways that maybe we could start introducing bans and reaching further as we try to get some of that evidence you're describing on to what extent is it influencing, is the algorithm influencing Americans in negative ways? And some of these other questions that are more murky.
2: The final point I would make on this is just the political one, which is I still see this as an attempt to give the Biden administration some leverage that it would need, because this is an app that is used by I've seen the figure 100 million Americans. And Colin, does the Biden administration really want to set down an order Uh, That is banning that. I can't imagine that would be popular among young voters. On the other hand, maybe some of their parents would be thrilled.
0: I think we also have to be really careful here. How do we directly address the national security threat without compromising core American freedoms and becoming more like China? We're just going to ban an app, ban it for everyone, even though its particular danger may only be applied to certain segments of the population. As we were discussing before, people who actually have national security Issues on their phone. And as Kate was saying, the idea that TikTok is widely used in the military, I can understand why that could be a real problem. But again, I think some of this has to come in the form of disclosure and more explicit warnings to users. I was reading a column the other day that was joking that, you know, when Apple users agree to let TikTok collect their data, they're not explicitly allowing their data to be collected by the Chinese government. But maybe they should be asked that. I mean, maybe that's exactly what. They should be asked and see if that has a more salutary effect on um, the downloading process.
2: Hang tight. We'll be right back. You're listening to Potomac Watch from The Wall Street Journal. High inflation has impacted many of us.
1: But what happens when prices go up 55, 67 or even 276 percent? It makes living more costly. It eats into your paycheck. At the end of the day, the salary itself, it's not enough. And money quickly loses value. You can't sleep, you can't do anything. Check out our complete series on extreme world inflation from A to Z from What's News, plus other exclusive content on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers.
2: Don't forget, you can reach the latest episode of Potomac Watch anytime. Just ask your smart speaker, play the Opinion Potomac Watch podcast. From the opinion pages
1: of The Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch.
2: Welcome back. Also in Washington, on Wednesday, the Senate voted for a resolution that would overturn changes to the District of Columbia criminal code passed by the city council, including lowering some maximum penalties for crimes such as carjacking. This had already been passed by the House when President Biden announced that he would not veto it if it showed up on his desk. And that contributed to a remarkable vote in the Senate of 81 to 14 to not let the D.C. criminal code changes take effect. 33 Democrats voting with the Republicans, one Democrat voting present, which is always an, an odd choice. That was Raphael Warnock of Georgia. Kate, I wonder what you make of this. This looks to me like maybe the Republican Party's first win of this Congress and a real goof up by the White House in not signaling to its Democratic allies earlier that President Biden was prepared to sign this bill.
1: Yeah, Kyle. I mean, so first of all, I think the recent data is that D.C. has had 40 homicides this year and that that's a large increase over 2022. And that the district is on track for a third year with more than 200 killings. And before 2021, the last time that happened was 2003. Some of these details are in the post. So there is clearly a crime issue in Washington. And I think that senators have begun to notice it as well. And it's become politically very hard to ignore. So I do think this was... An opportunity for Republicans. And we can talk about the politics a little bit later, but they haven't really been able to articulate or focus on this win, even though they got the president of the United States to make a turn and decide to sign it, even though the mayor of D.C. is no doubt really unhappy about that. This is a core issue that normal voters really care about. So hopefully Republicans can explain to voters what they did here and why it matters.
2: Colin, one of the things that I've been wondering is, I believe President Biden came out and said, that he would not veto the bill even though he had previously said he opposed it after the loss in Chicago of Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And I'm curious, obviously there's no way to know, but how much that influenced the thinking inside the White House. We've discussed on previous podcasts that the crime issue, I think, has real salience to voters. And many Democrats, I think, have been slow- to realize that. And maybe this is the dawning of that realization in the White House after the loss of Lori Lightfoot, looking at this criminal code and President Biden thinking, do I really want to run for reelection in 2024, being attacked as the guy who lowered penalties for carjacking in the District of Columbia?
0: For sure. I mean, I wouldn't underestimate that. I think voters have been sending a message, and I'm glad that message is getting received. The line here after this bill and Biden's statement is that Democrats have been somehow bending to Republican pressure to be tough on crime. And that's why President Biden has reversed course and said he'd sign the bill when he originally said he'd oppose it. But honestly, I think it's Democrats probably bowing appropriately to the will of voters and maybe finally waking up and at least trying to pay attention or realizing how loaded this issue is, because voters are very clearly concerned about crime and they're feeling insecure in the cross currents of various movements that have cast a lot of doubt on the police and on the safety of their cities. So, yeah, I mean, the Senate voted 81 to 14, as you said. That's super bipartisan, which is great, by the way. I think we should be celebrating that. Hallelujah. Not every single issue has to be some kind of crazy partisan cage match. And we've talked about this in other contexts, Kyle, about the fact that certain progressive positions, especially on crime and sentencing, are essentially ideological luxuries. And right now, I think Democrats are realizing that they just can't really afford them anymore. So I think that's what accounts for the changing positions here.
2: On the political point, though, in the House, the vote before President Biden again said that he would sign this bill There were only 31 Democrats who voted to block the changes to the D.C. criminal code. So most of them voted against. And that, I think, is something many voters will be hearing more about if they live in a district where their Democratic congressman was one of those voting with the Democratic whole. The National Republican Campaign Committee, this is the House operation to elect Republicans, has already cut some campaign ads on this. Listen to this.
0: Murderers given reduced sentences. Carjackers given slaps on the wrist by pandering politicians. Not just the D.C. City Council. 173 House Democrats voted to support reduced sentences for violent crimes. So crazy, even President Biden won't support the anarchy. What's next? Defund the police?
2: Who knows how effective those ads and attacks will be going into 2024. But, Kate, I guess that is the price of President Biden... Not having his strategy together is letting those 173 Democrats get out on a limb before the president saws off the limb.
1: Yeah, Kyle, I mean, as politics go, that is pretty much malpractice to set the House Democrats up for this. I think directly seen in that ad you just described is Abigail Spanberger from the Richmond suburbs in Virginia, someone that the Republicans really wanted to unseat in the last cycle and failed to beat. So you will see them use this line of attack against vulnerable members. And I think to your point about Raphael Warnack voting present is almost a admission that he's really not sure which side of this he wants to come down on and wants to leave his options open and doesn't want to have to defend a no vote. So I think this really is a potent political issue and will be, again, because this crime wave is not limited to D.C. When Mitch McConnell was talking about this bill... On the floor a couple days ago, he was describing the violent crime wave that's come to Louisville. So I think Americans all over the country understand the problem that violent crime has become. It's not limited to D.C., but as McConnell said, you know, we are a world superpower and this is our capital. And so the functioning of the city matters. So I think they've struck on a potent political theme, whether they can continue to drive that message. I'm not so sure.
2: Keep an eye out, meanwhile, in coming days for a second resolution along similar lines the District of Columbia Council also voted for a bill that would let non-citizens vote in local elections. It would apply to about an estimated 50,000 non-citizens compared with a resident population in the district of about 700,000. So that would be a significant addition to the electorate. There's also been a, a resolution in the House to overturn that. That has already passed. 42 Democrats joined that one. So more Democrats voted for that resolution than for the criminal code resolution, at least in the House. But Colin, the trick here is that I'm told that because this does not have anything to do with the criminal code, there's some slightly different rules that apply in the Senate. And this resolution on the non-citizen voting is not privileged in exactly the same way. And so what's likely to happen here is that a Republican will come to the floor and and bring that resolution up for unanimous consent in the Senate, and it will probably be blocked by a Democrat and then perhaps bottled up in committee. But I think that Republicans would have a real good issue if they wanted to go to the public and say, here's another thing that the District of Columbia City Council has done, and we really want to overturn it. We had 42 Democrats in the House that joined us, and Chuck Schumer won't let this out of committee. And I think that's a potent issue along similar lines. I don't know if you would get 81 Democrats in the Senate if that came up to a vote. But I think you would certainly get more than 50.
0: Right. I think clearly, politically, Democrats have to think that they don't want to have to hand Republicans nationwide a huge cudgel to use against them, whether it's being soft on crime or allowing uh, 50,000 non-citizens to vote. That's just uh, (laughs) it's like a birthday present. And also, Kyle, let's be honest, just to loop back on the crime issue Lawmakers have to live in Washington, too, you know, and at least spend a lot of time there, even if they're not living there full time. But they are people, too, and they're going to feel the same things walking down the street that anyone in Washington is going to feel. And it's a little dicey now. And you want to keep in mind that you're not walking through too many shadowy corners and you're keeping your eyes out and eyes open. And so I think they can relate to those issues the same way that voters relate to those issues, whether the voters are living in Washington or Chicago or somewhere far away from there. These are going to be big issues in the upcoming elections.
2: Thank you, Colin and Kate. Thank you all for listening. You can email us at pwpodcast at wsj.com. If you like the show, please hit that subscribe button. And we will be back next week with another edition of Potomac Watch.